Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC. This episode is a Pillar and Ground confession episode where we seek to further understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith. This episode concerns Westminster Confession of Faith 4.1. We start a new chapter. It's on creation. The confession reads this. It pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make out of nothing the world and everything in it, whether visible or invisible in the space of six days and all very good. Going to break down uh, Westminster Confession of Faith 4.1. We'll start with the why of creation before we get to the facts about creation, the how of creation, and some of the implications of how we think about science. First, the why of creation. Hopefully you remember in a prior episode, it was called Knowing God, His Purpose and His Plans. It was on Westminster Confession of Faith 2.1. We discussed in depth the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. That's direct language from 4.1. And so if you, if you just make a real simple sentence, find subject and verb of Westminster Confession of Faith 4.1, it pleased God for the manifestation of the glory to create. Westminster Confession of Faith 2.1 says he works all things according to the counsel of his own unchangeable and most righteous will for his own glory. In that episode on 2.1, we asked, why did God create the world? This is a question Jonathan Edwards asked in the end for which God created the world. Why did God create the world? The conclusion is that God created the world in humans so he could see himself in us. That word manifest. As the confession says in 4.1, that word manifest used in Psalm 19. It means that, as it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows his handiwork. Creation brilliantly reflects the perfection of the creator. He created the world to see himself in all its beauty. God's pleasure is not just in seeing creation in and of itself, but rather seeing himself in the creation. And this is not the vanity of seeking popular applause. For the desire of praise is not itself evil. It is sin only when the desire for praise is rooted in unworthiness, and that's true of all of us as humans. But it's not the case with God. So unlike the display of narcissism in God's creatures... God's self-love is not sinful. God's delight in himself is not a vain misconception. It is just and right. And so the confession in 4.1 starts off with the why of creation. He did it to manifest his glory, to see himself. Now, there are some biblical and confessional facts about creation. It says he created or made out of nothing, the world and everything in it, whether visible or invisible in the space of six days, and all very good. Several facts about creation to highlight here. First, God comes first. Those words that open the Bible, in the beginning, God. From eternity past, God was not dependent on us. He had no need of us to avoid loneliness. 
The eternal Trinitarian perfection of love is always prior. God comes first. He makes all things out of nothing, as we'll see. The confession does not explicitly speak to how he creates with his word, but we know that one of the most important facts about creation is that God speaks creation into existence by his powerful word. He calls the universe into existence. The confession does say he creates or makes out of nothing. This is known as creation ex nihilo. It's basically this. There's no uncreated stuff. God created all things. And thus there is a creator-creature distinction. Because there is no created stuff, the world and no one who is created is divine. Clearly, against pantheism, which would say the universe is God, this doctrine of creation says no, there's actually no uncreated stuff, and therefore God creates all things. Even a side note, the way God created out of nothing becomes a way for Paul to speak about new creation. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see, our new creation came out of nothing, deadness, darkness. He shone his light into our hearts. And the fourth fact about creation is there's one God. He's good. As the confession says, he made it all very good. It says, for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. There is one God who is good, and he made everything good. Now, I love watching Star Wars with my family. Particularly my youngest, Simeon, is really into the Mandalorian and all the Disney Plus Star Wars releases. But I want to make sure we all understand our doctrine of creation is not a Star Wars dualism that says there's forces of good and forces of bad. That's what we call ontological dualism. No. There's one God who's good. And he made everything good. And this doctrine of the goodness of creation puts to death the false doctrine propagated by Gnosticism which would see the physical world as unimportant or worse evil. It would say that only the spiritual or only the invisible realm matters, but the goodness of creation has bearing on our eschatology, on our salvation. You see, a new heaven and a new earth is coming. We will receive redeemed bodies. The glory of the resurrection of Jesus comes all the way back to the goodness of creation and the restoration of that creation. So those are some of the basic facts of biblical creation. God comes first, God speaks creation into existence, God creates out of nothing, there's one God who's good, he made everything good. The how of creation. Well, the confession says in the space of six days he did it, and all very good, and we'll spend some time on that. I'd like for us to first note, God did not intend through Moses to answer our questions of science when it comes to when the world began and how long creation took. Actually, those concerns would have been foreign to the writer and the hearers in those times. They lived in a time where various gods were giving their various accounts on how the world began. And the uniqueness of Moses' story in Genesis is that he's telling the true story, but he's also saying how it happened is that God created out of nothing by speaking his word and through his spirit's presence hovering. Word and spirit. You know, the gods did not speak. 
Our God spoke creation into existence. Moses' creation account established that clearly. And the rest of the redemptive story will bring these important foundational creation principles to bear throughout the entirety of the story, word and spirit, doing work for God's glory. So, but we do have to deal with what the confession says when it says in the space of six days, because they're simply recounting what Moses says in Genesis concerning six days. In the year 2000, the Creation Study Committee of the PCA submitted its report to the 28th General Assembly, and in the opening remarks it noted, the committee has been unable to come to unanimity over the nature and duration of the creation days. Nevertheless, our goal has been to enhance the unity, integrity, faithfulness, and proclamation of the church. Therefore, we are presenting a unanimous report with the understanding that the members hold to different exegetical viewpoints. In other words, they, they differ on what the Bible says and means about creation, but they're all dealing with the Bible. It is our hope and prayer, it goes on to say, that the church at large can join us in a principled biblical recognition of both the unity and diversity we have regarding this doctrine, and that all are seeking properly to understand biblical revelation. It is our earnest desire not to see our beloved church divide over this issue, period. Put another way, they concluded that the length of creation does not hold the same integral place in the confession as the broader doctrine of creation. Scripture does not speak directly to the question of the age of the universe. So the 28th General Assembly of the PCA affirmed that the diversity as covered in their report, what we'll cover briefly in a moment, is acceptable as long as the full historicity of the creation account is accepted. In other words, a real creation, a real garden, a real Adam and Eve, a real serpent, a real hijacked piece of creation, a real fall. So when, they, when, when the historicity of the creation account in those ways is accepted, and when people are taking their views out of the Bible, then there are four views that can be acceptable. The four are, first, six 24-hour days. You know, the, the reading is probably the most plain reading of the Scripture. The Hebrew word that's there for day means is yom. It does not always refer to a 24-hour period in the Bible, but most often it does. And... The six 24-hour day view is that the days succeed one another chronologically. The word yom especially means that 24-hour period when it is accompanied by numerals. The words in Genesis, evening and morning, also suggest a 24-hour period. And the six-to-one work and rest rhythm is based on days, and that's what we base our Sabbath rhythms on. Personally, I hold to the view of six 24-hour days. And many understand that one of the challenges of the six 24-hour day view is the question of the age of the earth. Because to hold that view would put you in a young earth category, as it were. How do I reconcile that? Well, I believe there is merit to the argument called the appearance of age. That God, when he created created mature plants and mature animals. He created an adult male and female, the Bible seems to indicate, not an embryo, 
There's a mature land. There's a mature environment. The earth was created with the appearance of age. In other words, if a scientist went up to a tree the moment God created it and measured it with scientific data, they would say it is older than it appears. But in reality, it's minutes old because it was created with appearance of age. That's how I think about the age of the earth and holding a six 24-hour day view. There's also the day-age approach. What that means is that the narrative in Genesis is giving a chronological history of God's creative acts, but that the days are of infinite duration. In other words, the word yom means an age. There are instances in the Bible where the word yom means age. Uh, And so they think these are six geological ages. And Interpreting Yom in that way does yield to a more uh, restful understanding of an old earth by some. And there, again, notice the differences of views are working with the text. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean? The Bible is the primary authority here. The third view is the gap theory. It's a form of old earth creationism. It it posits that there are six yom creation periods. The gap theory actually says there are six literal 24 days. But there was a gap between two distinct creations in the first and second verses of Genesis. So the gap theory would say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Gap. We have no idea how long. Then, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then the six days began, the six calendar days. It's a view that people hold, and they're reading the Bible and trying to make sense of what it says. I I find the view a little problematic in that there's a gap, and there's still formlessness and emptiness. Um, And the last view is the literary form. It's, It's basically that that Moses really isn't actually concerned with the length of creation as much as he is using a literary method. And by using a literary method, it doesn't this this argument does not say it's it's not literal. That's very important to distinguish that if you hold this view that you believe in the literal creation, but the literary reform was a device, a way of communicating to people that day. Uh, presenting and showing the chronological sequence. So there's an emphasis on the realms created and the inhabitants of the realms. So day one goes with day four, day two goes with day five, day three goes with day six. Day one, lights created. Day four, the luminaries. Day two, sky and sea. Day five, fish and fowl. Day three, land and vegetation. Day six, humans and animals. He's doing a poetic literary form to communicate his point that God created the world. He created realms, he created inhabitants. Personally, I do not believe that the presence of a literary structure excludes one from believing in six 24-hour days. For example, the framework view, which I see much merit to, the literary form, it's an observation about the literary structure of the text. I think that can be held in conjunction with a view that suggests the creation days uh, were longer or a view that the creation days were 24-hour periods. The literary forms addressing the form of the text and the intent of Moses. 
but I think you still can address the issue and the meaning of yom while holding to the literary form. So I know that's a lot, but I think it's important for us to understand what the confession means when it says in the space of six days. And quite frankly, it's hard to discern the intent of the divines. It is assumed, and there is some original documentation, that the majority of the divines held the six 24-hour day view. Um, but Calvin was the first person in his, doc, in his commentary on Genesis to introduce the phrase in the space of six days. And that seems to open up something broader than just six days. Let me close with some observations as we think about creation, the Bible, and science. Four principles for us as followers of Jesus. These will be rather quick. Number one, Christians, we should not immediately assume science is wrong. We've already handled our doctrine of general revelation and common grace. We should not necessarily assume at the outset that the scientists are wrong. Number two, so I got two do nots and two do's. Do not immediately assume science is wrong. Number two, do not rashly assume our interpretation of Scripture is right. It's possible our interpretation of Scripture is wrong. The Reformation was built on that, always reforming according to the Scriptures. We must be humble enough, self-critical enough to examine these questions, even under the stimulus of scientific claims which we may be initially unsympathetic about. We must go back to the Scripture. So do not immediately assume science is wrong. Do not rashly assume our interpretation of Scripture is right. But do unreservedly believe Scripture itself is not wrong. It is not possible for Scripture itself to be wrong. Go back to our doctrine of Scripture in Westminster Confession of Faith 1 on inerrancy what that means, what infallibility means. And the last principle is, do be governed by principles consistent with Scripture. There are wrong ways of being influenced by science. We should not be governed by principles of reasoning inconsistent with Scripture. So those are my observations about how to think about science in light of creation in the Bible. Do not immediately assume science is wrong. Do not rashly assume our interpretation of Scripture is right. Do unreservedly believe Scripture itself is not wrong. And do be governed by principles consistent with Scripture. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Pillar and Ground. We look forward to joining you on future episodes.